mystery and horror, the air itself is filled with monsters. Children of the night, what music they make. monster fiends and thank you for joining us for another deep dive factoid field episode exploring hollywood's most famous monsters i am your mistress of ceremonies sam and i am joined as always by dan from bleeding marvelous say hello dan hello dan Woo! there was some there was some anticipation there i was like is she gonna say it is dramatic she not pause, dramatic pause. oh i forget <laughs> The theatre. The theatre it's, it's all about the, the theatre, the execution of one's work, <laughs> all that jazz. What the fuck was that? I don't I don't, it was so good, though. I was totally drawn in. I loved oh, it. I need Absolutely. to go. Oh, it's been, it's been oh. a day. Uh, I know this is, this is we, we recording this, not on a Monday, but on a Thursday. Happy Burns Night. Oh, yeah, and all that. Yeah. I'm half Scottish and everything, did you know? I mean, it's not that I don't tell every fucker who asks us. <laughs> or even if they don't ask us, I'm like, yeah, I'm half Scottish. I'm a potato. Sorry. <laughs> I'm 36% potato. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, uh, there's not been a fan famine for a while on this side of the <laughs> Same here. <laughs> so, today, 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 today. I am so excited about this one. Probably getting more excited as the day has gone on, but we are doing another man behind the makeup with Rick Baker. Da, da, da. And I have I have clued myself up. I have and I now feel I I now feel I know this man better than I ever will know this man. <laughs> I feel more connected to this one than I did to Tom Savini. I'm not going to lie. Okay. And I don't really know why and probably we'll figure that out as we go along. But I will get the disclaimer out the way with and we will crack on with Mr. Rick Baker. So, everything discussed in today's episode is our opinions and our opinions alone. If you'd like to discuss anything from today's episode, please come and join us in the Discord page, the Facebook page, or the comments section where we can have an open discussion. What we won't have is anyone coming for us and telling us our opinions are wrong. We can all agree to disagree in fandom. So let's keep it fun, keep it kind, and keep the toxic behaviour out of nerdism. Well, I suppose. Just don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Right. So, Richard Allen Baker, or as we know him, as Rick Baker. He is an American retired special makeup effects and creator. Rick is mainly known for his creature designs and that will be our main, it may be our main focus. I don't know, given what I've been reading about, learning about today. As we take you through the man behind the makeup with Rick Baker. So, Mr. Baker, how have you found doing your research on him it's there's so much oh. <laughs> who I, whose idea was this sam honestly i mean 
<laughs> I was saying to someone today, we are either really stupid or really fucking genius. I can't quite figure that one out yet. We'll it, see how the episode goes before yeah, I make this is actually part one of part two because Rick does have an extensive um, back catalogue. So today we are solely focusing on the 70s and 80s. So if you're joining us for the 90s and 2000s, you're going to be bitly disappointed. You're going to have to wait a week. Yes, come back next week. Yep. But Stay please, please stick around because honestly, the 70s and 80s are some of the most creative and inventive makeup that has ever happened i can i i can only say that for one of them because i can't think of the rest of them <laughs> but i do have some bits about the man first yeah. so he was born on the 8th of december in 1950 in Binghamton, new york mm-hmm. he has won seven Academy Awards, nominated for 12, won seven. He is also the first recipient of Best Makeup Artist. And who presented him that one? Vincent Price. (laughs) Oh, it was Vincent Price. How amazing is that? It was for American Werewolf in London, uh, which honestly can't wait to talk about um i have my source material for this podcast has been mainly wikipedia thank god they list everything down in in order but also i have listened to some podcasts from when rick's book was brought out so manifesto which i think i managed mentioned last week i think it's called is it manifesto no um, uh they said it so many times it's a two-parter and it weighs like seven eight pound or something it is a big book and it was 125 quid if you wanted to purchase it from amazon wow i love rick and i would buy it in a heartbeat if i was rich yeah (laughs) but i'm trying to justify it but apparently everybody says it's absolutely amazing from so the mark the the podcast i listened to was mark maron and you could tell skim the pages right skim the pages let's just Let's just go through the motions, easier movies, da, 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 da. The other podcast I listened to, which I instantly text Dan straight away, was yes. Gilbert Godfrey's. And it was from 2019. And it made me so sad that Gilbert is no longer with us anymore because I have learned so much about him, just him alone mm-hmm. from that podcast. Didn't know he was a huge monster fan. Like, massive. But that man knows his movie history. And it was lovely for him and Rick going back and forth. Like they knew what each other was talking about. And it was such an amazing conversation. I learned a lot through that. I loved it. I loved that one. I loved how Frank had to keep him in line though. Frank had yes. to thank him. Um, what about this? And he would be like, oh, do you remember that advert that was in the back of the film monsters thing where you bought the praying mantis or whatever? And he'd go off for a 10 minute tangent about a stick with a bit of fluff on it. And it was like, you could hear Rick knew exactly what he was talking yeah. about, but you could hear him. Rick's not somebody, and he openly admits this, that has a um, very outgoing personality. Mm. He's not very, um, he's not a wisecracking guy. He's not that he's, kind of person. He's, he's quite, very somber when he talks. Yes. And I think he has a way, when you see him 
towards the end of a, a podcast or an interview, he's relaxed into it. Yeah. So it seems a little bit more amicable. I don't know what the word is. Amenable, maybe. Yeah. He's, he's just very more natural towards once he's like getting into the swing of it. Yeah. Um, but he's he's not he's not a funny like not that he's not a funny guy. It's just that he's he's very matter of fact about his life. Like I think he's getting to a point now where he's getting it so much has happened, it's hard to try and keep on top of everything that he's done. I did listen to Schmorfern um podcast can't say yeah. his name can't I, I did it in small bites on youtube you know we have three minute bites. <sighs> yeah um, and I, I tried to stage most mogan's um yes. couldn't could not do it he but what i did notice what he said on one of shoshan's uh podcast on the podcast was that he left he retired because of um because of cgi he, mm. he, you know, the industry was getting too CGI and he left. He corrected that mistake on Gilbert Godfrey's and said, and I knew where he said it because I heard him say it. And he went, I just got a bit carried away. This is not the reason why I left. <laughs> yeah. And I don't blame him. It's got to be hard because he likes, if you, I've watched a lot of behind the scenes documentaries, like mm. for, for a lot of the movies. And I think it was one for, we're not going to talk about it just yet, but one mm-hmm. for, I think it was Harry and the Hendersons, where you could see he'd, he was on a computer, he's working on a, like an old Windows 95, obviously way before then, because it's in the 80s, but like some program yeah. roughly like that, where you could layer, um, you had a, an artist sketch scanned in, and he was drawing on top of it on on a, on a keyboard, like mm-hmm. literally. And it was amazing to see, because you forget how, we all used to work, you know, yeah. years and years ago with the, the, the earlier computers. And he was saying that he loves the marriage of the two, but he doesn't like all exclusively green screen or blue screen. He mm-hmm. likes it when one complements the other and he's more than happy to work with that. But he just struggles if it's like Marvel movies. He can't bear them. He, find, he finds them horrific. I can, I can understand it more. I, I, I'm always under the guy such. I love practical effects. I love anything that can be done practical. I think it makes more to the movie, um, more to the imagination, more to making it more realistic, more real life. But I can understand the place of CGI in some places. I really can. Um, but And I can see it from his point now when he talks about his method of working. He's not just making a, a, a mask that is... because. What a thing I did learn about is Rick Baker specialised in masks. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know that. Um, because of his line of work and everything that he's done, I, you just think makeup and it's not. It's makeup masks. And he says, like, how much detail and like he is putting every like line and fine bit into it. And it just makes us think, no wonder, because of how much time you've spent there, why you think it's a bit of a, a maybe a, a cop out. Yeah. with cgi so i can kind of understand his method in that but the academy award thing like that blew my mind yeah. i knew we won for american uh werewolf in london i didn't realize there was fucking six more after that yeah <laughs> i mean so many i knew he won one for gorillas in the mist i must i'm pretty sure he did no he didn't he was nominated he yes so he's been nominated yeah. 12 times and he's won seven yeah because how he did not nom- win for that uh, i mean Although that Ow. film, I can't, I, I couldn't sit through it again. Um, I will I, never watch it. 
I, I've watched it once, I think, with my nan and granddad, not long after it came out, you know, like proper gorillas in the mist. Um, but I, I had, right, this is where I have to kind of confess to something. Oh. I have, you know, like people love dinosaurs, people love um, movie animals or yeah. like, I have a thing for apes or monkeys, right? Okay. Any movie that has an ape or monkey in it that has good eyes, I I love it. And so, I mean, whilst I know these are CG heavy that I'm about to, to say, Peter Jackson's King Kong, Andy Serkis, I, he's my go-to monkey man with Caesar as well. You know, mm -hmm. he is... I just absolutely adore him and I'm again I'm incredibly grateful I've got to meet him um mm. but I I love anything just genuinely anything with uh monkeys in I always have done would never have one would never want to be in the vicinity of oh, a no. or a monkey but what kicked it off for me really was something we'll talk about next week and go into detail is but with the Tim Burton's version of Planet of the Apes Mm -hmm. to, for me to see people being able to act whilst looking at monkeys and we're talking Tim Roth we're talking Helena Bonham Carter talking um Michael um John Colfing um gone blank on his name but yeah uh, the, the, the Duncan Clark, yeah, Clark Duncan Michael Clark, yeah um I think I said then, that wrong yeah. <laughs> Michael Duncan Clark yeah uh, Paul Giamatti I think it is um it's like this just laundry list of amazing actors and and like being able to see how well they did i mean okay yeah it's got marky mark in it but you know that's not the end way it, things can be <laughs> forgiven but just the way I, that's the one i can't wait to watch again now with today's eyes mm -hmm. next next time because tim burton and rick make a fantastic couple in for edward well, as well. oh yes um that is another one that one but just to go back to the oh gosh i was going to say now Oh, I got too excited. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Ed Wood, and I just went, "Oh my god!" Um, I'll, I'll come back to it. But the one for Harry and the Hendersons, yes. Ed Wood, the Nutty Professor. Oh, okay. Men, Men in Black. Yes. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Yes. Well, and you can the, understand those. And the Wolfman. Now that one I I struggle with because I have seen it. It's the Benicio del Toro one, isn't it? Um, and it is the one with Anthony Hopkins. That one. Yeah. But he openly admitted he is not the head makeup artist. It was his protege that was the head makeup artist on that movie. But he got nominated for either a BAFTA or some something as well for The Howling. And he didn't do it. Rob Bertain did it. So, I mean. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. It's not The Wolfman, then. It was that one. Yeah. That's so, one. I mean, we all know because we've talked about what Rob did mm -hmm. for the thing. And, and. On that podcast with Gilbert Godfrey, he even openly admits he goes, he just he just puts all to shame when he did the thing. Yeah. He was like, I, I just he, he'd come off the back of the howling and went straight into the thing. He said, and it was just like, oh, it was the other way around. It was something. No, no, you're right, uh huh? Yeah. And uh, he was like, he he said he was my protege. He said I he just wrote me a letter once, and every like I think you would have heard this on the thing where. He, well, this is I, what we're gonna we're gonna get into yeah. with these movies. It's just but... fascinating, but like. Because I think that plays a huge part in it. So his his protege, well, his mentor was the great Dick Smith. Dick Smith. And I I didn't know this. He did with his protege, what Dick Smith did to him was he wrote him a letter and 
Dick Smith wrote him back and invited him to his house and yeah. was happy to share his knowledge, his experience to this young 16-year-old boy who generally did not want to be in the place because it was the summer holidays. His parents were going to New York to see his grandmother who was dying. He did not want to go and see her because he wanted to make masks. Yeah, that's all he wanted to do with his time. He was quite happy. Um, I know he got his first job working at a uh, stop go animation slash. Yeah, um, he was like 16 or something. Yeah, Gumby. Not a lot of people know who Gumby up is, but I've got a rough idea. You know, I know who he is. He's, he's like a blob with arms and legs. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was it was doing work for that and then another TV show. And so he learned, he literally, he said him and his dad went up there on one of the, the um, videos I've watched. Him and his dad went up there and his dad said, my son needs a job. And then he was <laughs> like, okay, start Monday. You know, it was that simple. How lovely does he describe his parents? Yes. How supportive. I mean, he, he said they were a bit hippie, didn't he? Like, mm -hmm. they loved music. They loved horror films. And he said that that's the one thing that I was quite surprised at. And I don't know why, because in my mind, all, all special effects makeup has to go into horror at some point. Yeah. By horror, I mean, like, even facial injuries or, or like, uh, a broken nose or, you know, blood in general. Mm -hmm. But Rick hates it's horror doing horror makeup yeah he hates it, it's he says, it but it's purely because i think when you're in that industry and you go against someone well i wouldn't say go against because him and tom are tom savini are in totally different lanes they're the best at what they do in their lanes but like yeah. he was saying that he hates movies now that are slasher heavy or yeah. kills for the sake of kills for getting the most goriest kill he wants something to see something clever yeah, and I can completely understand where he's coming from. I mean, like I said, when we were watching the blob, which you can go back and watch, that was something <laughs> that was quite inventive for today, let alone back in the eighties. Yeah, when it was filmed so it was so, like, un so unique. For... Yeah, so he 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 had a he's got a preconceived notion of what he believes movies should be, and he does get rather annoyed when they don't fit in those categories. <laughs> As we will find out when we go yeah. into part two because yeah. there's some great stories on one movie where if he didn't get his own way it was gonna it, something bad was gonna happen yeah. <laughs> um but you are absolutely right he it was so refreshing listening to him talk about the he loves monsters yeah and he loves monster makeup but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's full-on slasher horror mm -hmm. or gore horror he's not he's not a gore man he does not like gore and it was so refreshing and i actually felt more connected this is probably why i feel more connected to him as much as i love me slashes like come on if you're a horror fan you're gonna love your slashes like sleepaway camp is one of if not one of my favorite films of all time and you can go and watch that episode because fucking hilarious and um, but I love and have more, I think, I don't know if it's me old age or what, but I'm like, I'm loving the monster movies. I'm loving all of the, I love the idea that this year we want to explore more of the B side of horror. And that really excites us. And he fits into that wheelhouse so perfectly, especially with his first movie, oh, Octo <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah, that's... Um... I actually watched a quick behind the scenes documentary. It's only about five minutes long. And uh, it was, 
it was someone talking to Rick. Rick was doing the voiceover, but they were actually showing the costume, mm. and um, it was like an excerpt from the movie. And I'd considered going and watching it, and then I saw that, and I thought, oh, I'll see if it's worth it. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't, because I was thinking of doing exactly the same thing. But what I'm going to have to make very clear when we are talking about Rick's movies is Rick isn't, how do I describe this? It's not like, um, for example, The Exorcist. He yes. is, that that is not, he is not head makeup artist. Nope. So on the majority of his movies, he's not head makeup artist. He isn't even fucking credited in half of them. So it's not, a, this is just stuff. Unfortunately, I think more of the 70s and 80s probably more 70s than 80s is more this is what he worked on yes. with other people not it's not like tom savini who was head of it yeah. director of it like you listen to him kind of thing rick did not do that yeah is that fair to say it's fair to say yeah because the 70s was when he was establishing his career so he said he'd take everything and anything as long as it didn't clash with something else but it was when he met John Landis that everything changed. So, I mean, yeah. you're talking from the 70s to the 80s, just the beginning of the 80s, yeah. was when he would take, you know, he'd dress up a pigeon if, if they asked him to, because yeah. he that he needed to get where he needed to get. Like the thing with two heads is a prime example. But again, Great segue. No, great segue, because that's the movie number two. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with two heads, I started to watch it, right? Uh-huh. Now, I've got patience. Mm-hmm. I thought I can sit through some stuff if it if needs must, but I really thought of all the films that in his catalog, I didn't need to sit through that after ten minutes. I was done. It was enough. Um, <laughs> it's a terrible film in every which way, really but is. I love the fact that people use it because I mean, you look at Sean Clark. Yeah. Sean Clark's podcast is called The Thing with Two Heads, mm-hmm. so it it carries a. It, it, there's a whole thing where they had like uh, I think one of the actors was like a really big actor at the time that was in the movie that they got and he kept I think he said to Gilbert didn't he he kept turning around saying what is this film I'm doing or why am I doing this why film? am I doing this it was, it was atrocious <laughs> it's terrible I text Dan the other day and I said listen do me research if out of all the movies from 70s you know what I've not seen what would you think I should watch and she said the thing with two heads and I thought in my head absolutely fucking not as soon as I saw the poster I was like no way um I just remember Elvira having it on one of her video yeah maybe I've watched it if Elvira was popping in every now and again like hey all you ghouls (laughs) what the fuck is this um it's the winner of the medieval brothers golden turkey award in the category of worst two-headed transplanted movie (laughs) Yes, now I can completely understand that why, but I don't think that applies to the monkey. I think that applied to the person standing behind him over the, the shoulder. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't attached. Rick was actually responsible for making the monkey, as far as I'm aware. That was his oh, remake, Yeah, it was. Um it just is it was his special effects uncredited uncredited he's probably pleased but he's he's happy to talk about it this is the pathway what you will learn is that he is the monkey man he is well known as the monkey man and you will see that pattern as we go along yes. it took me until 
the <laughs> where was it King Kong? And I went, oh, I'm seeing a, I'm seeing a pattern here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so I'm seeing it. I'm seeing something. Um, so yeah, yeah, the thing with two heads is the thing. It, it happened. He actually plays the the the, the ape. Yeah, he is actually for all makeup artist, um, special effects makeup artist, creator, designer, actor is something else that is added to his yes. wheelhouse as well, um, which I'll get into. It's not it's not huge parts, no. but it but he is there. The next one, never heard of it. Schlock, Schlock is an actual John Landis movie, is it? Uh, yeah, and uh, it. Skipping to another John Landis moment, but we'll get there in the, in a bit. Is the thriller video mm. the, schlock, the poster for Schlock in every John Landis movie is in the cinema at the is beginning. It? You know where uh, Michael's out having a chat with his girlfriend, and you've got all the movie posters going into the movie. Yeah, theater. Schlock's up there. There's the thing with two heads is up there. There's quite a few videos, uh, like video po movie posters around that are really, really like you go. Oh, I see what you oh. did there. So Schlock is a terrible film. He openly admits it's bloody awful. It was on a terrible small little budget. Um, and John Landis, he got involved in it with John for, um, he just needed, he just wanted to, to work. So he didn't care what he did. And John yeah. Landis at that point didn't have the name he had. Um, the whole thing with I mean, Tales of the Unexpected hadn't happened. I think it was Tales of the Unexpected, was it? Um, it was the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Yeah, I knew it was one of those anthology type programs none of that had happened yet so you know we were in a, a position oh that doesn't happen until 83 is it 83 jesus mm -hmm. um but yeah, yeah so he he met john and then um he was he done schlock and john wanted to do american werewolf but the budget wasn't there for, mm -hmm. for that just yet so then he had a huge break between 73 to American Werewolf in 80. So he started 81. Right. So he started taking all those jobs. So this is why you've got a consecutive, pretty much consecutive movie per year, sometimes yeah. a year. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, yeah, until from after Schlock in 73 down to, and I'm going to ruin it, Empire Strikes Back in 80. So he did all three. <laughs> that's the thing is when I did not know that, believe it or not, no, I knew so I didn't. much about Rick Baker. I didn't know he was Star Wars. Nah, and I all I kept thinking is, holy shit, I am going to on a monsters podcast be able to talk about <laughs> fucking Star Wars. Um, because if you if you know me, I am a Star Wars fan. So I lost my shit ever so slightly when I was like, oh my god. I love my Star Wars. I will not have it told. Any other way, I love my bloody Star Wars, but I'm I'm no not going to be on the same level as knowledge and that you have for sure. But like, oh, you don't know. Um, the next one. So I know that I'm going in order at the minute, but there's some that I might skip because there's some that I generally have not heard of. Yeah. The next one, though. Oh my god! I know 19... it's one of your all-time all favorites. 1973, The Exorcist. Um, he was special effects assistant. He is uncredited. He is literally an assistant because who is the makeup artist for The Exorcist? Dick Smith. Dick Smith. And who is the uh, protege of Dick Smith? Rick Baker. What I found so interesting because when I saw that he was just an assistant, I was like, oh, he just... He just helped out. But on the Gilbert Godfrey um, podcast, he explained he did 
and holy shit, the bed did Max Auden's fucking makeup. He turned that 40-year-old man into an 80-year-old man. That's why I think he's always looked like that. Yeah. In my head, Max has always been that age because you see him like that in The Exorcist and up until recently when he passed. Yeah, in Star Wars. In Star Wars. Um, Max von Sauden, sorry, why did, how could I ever get that name wrong? That man is a legend. Um, but yes, he did. He did. He did his makeup. I have seen so many uh, documentaries and behind the scenes of The Exorcist and not once did I ever see Rick Baker's name come up. Why would I? Dick Smith is your makeup artist. And I I knew that the, so the, the makeup for Linda, for Linda, for Linda, the, um, as the possessed Linda is part makeup and part doll. And, um, doll <laughs> the doll that they used it's not so much of a doll it is a mask kind of thing but it was fitted onto a doll um they and used to she broke her back wasn't it they had to yeah some of the filming had yeah. to be had to be done in a different style and there were certain things they could not expect linda to be able to do mm. but for the for the, the best part she was in full makeup and the doll that they used they wanted to know I always remember this is one of my favorite bits of it it's just a really old grainy documentary like of behind the scenes and I'm sure they did it with Slimer as well to get the to get a genuine reaction out of people they just put this doll in a taxi in New York and sent it around <laughs> and just to see people's reaction as the the taxi stops and there's that that's there's Regan sitting right there. And I'm sure they did it with Slimer as well. Really? They would just put Slimer in just obscure places and just to see what people's genuine reactions were. Um I know I, he did the you know, I do know one thing he did say he did on one of the documentaries I saw. You know when it says help me across Regan's stomach? Yeah. And then you've got the gaunt ribs. He did that whole mold of the distended stomach, the gaunt ribs, and he did the help me as well oh my god that, that is rick's contribution other than max to actual regan herself so wow that's amazing that's amazing honestly the in-depth that you can go into the exorcist alone and then to know that like add rick baker into the fucking <laughs> mix as well and it's like yeah. holy shit i did lose my mind when he went into detail on that podcast because and i'm sitting there trying to work and i'm like oh and then my colleague in front of us is going are you okay and i'm like Yes, I'm perfectly fine. Thank you. I'm just <laughs> learning new things while I'm doing my work. <laughs> learning. Learning. I was so good at it. I was looking around for a fucking notepad. And I'm like, I work in an office. How the fuck do I not have a notepad in an office? <laughs> um, but that was, it was just really like, I, the minute I saw The Exorcist on his his filmography, I lost my shit. But when I saw Assistant, I was like, oh, okay he just he just helped out i didn't realize the extent of because that makeup on um i can't think of his name now max <laughs> i can't think of his character name um father father ah uh, ah yeah that one <laughs> i just gone blank ah, i can't think of his name well that it's was what he was good for that is he rick's very first paid job was an old age makeup on a stage um, actor. Um, he was paid seventy five dollars 
to go in for uh, a week or two weeks i can't remember what he said and make up this this stage actor every night in old age makeup mm-hmm. he was 16 and that was his first paid job and the guy kept wanting to give him a special effects makeup kit instead of paying him and mm-hmm. his dad went no this is where you learn the responsibility of money you accept the payment and then you can once you've paid you your can... bills you can then go and buy it if you've got enough left at mm-hmm. 16 so um he realized that you know pretty quickly that his dad was trying to help him out oh he, honestly his parents come across in every interview he talks about yeah. in such a loving and supportive way it was so refreshing to hear he decided at one point didn't he that he was going to be a doctor yeah and then and then he he watched one of the many movies i can't remember because of so many on that on the Gilbert Godfrey podcast, they were rapid firing from creatures. Yeah, it was to this, so that, that. fast. But it was one of the the movies that literally he decided, oh, I'm going to give that a go. I can. I wonder if I can do that. And then obviously, he said about the monsters of Filmland, looking up for the for the the magazine and finding mm-hmm. it, and then seeing how he could do it. He'd get a <laughs> my favorite. It was when he was saying because trade secrets was a, is a huge thing. Well, was a huge thing back then they used to get he used to get a magnifying glass yes and and blow up the like look at the pictures because obviously we go like that now if we want to see yeah on your phone right now old-fashioned magnifying glass to you youngsters <laughs> that don't know what one of those is um and he'd try and see what the label said on all the the stuff <gasps> in the backgrounds of the um little clever pictures to see yeah see if he could get an idea of what it was they were using and he said that that they used to literally just peel the labels off in these places and put like adhesive on the front, and it was always mm. spirit gum. Always, oh yes, <laughs> some form of acetone or acetone. something. And uh, yeah, it was. Oh. Just... <laughs> if, if we can just take a quick intermission to talk about his love for Jack Pierce, because if you don't have Jack Pierce you don't have Rick Baker it's as oh, simple as that yeah and his hatred for the Westmores as well as oh my god did you just cheer when even Gilbert Godfrey was getting on board with the fact yep. that the Westmores are dicks yep. <laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't suffer fools and he tells no. people when the right person should get the credit yeah he he will back him and Tom Savini both back Millicent Patrick yeah till they die yeah. Um, and they both have the same level of contempt for Bud Westmore <laughs> that I think anyone that knew him or knew of what the the, the, the games he plays would have. Oh. As well. But even Gilbert Godfrey did as well. And he's just a fan. Even he was seeing in Millicent Patrick and, you know, Bud Westmore's a dick. And then he did that great story of that he, he wasn't even holding the right brushes and they were yeah, upside down. down in a <laughs> come on oh it was so lovely to hear because obviously if you've been listening to us from the start you know our feelings on bud westmore and how much he can go and get in the fucking bin um him and his fucking oh it's just his crazy antics um but yeah it was lovely to hear him talk about jack pierce and i've heard him talk about him so many times before and he was he's you are right he he doesn't suffer fools and he's a very honest man mm-hmm. and he said the the way that jack was doing makeup at the time as i think i've mentioned this before actually the way he was doing makeup just was not evolving makeup mm-hmm. has to evolve it has to change it has to up its game it has to you you have to push 
that next step yeah. and he wasn't so he knew unfortunately that jack was never going to survive and un unfortunately having a westmore in your studio house was very important and jack did get fired because of it he puts it down to the fact he would not evolve his makeup yeah because we all know his technique of hot glue and fur <laughs> yeah which is, I mean, it's it's lasted and it's been used by the even the best. Like Rick openly admits when he was doing the thing with two heads, he literally bought a blanket. Mm -hmm. and the, the the body's made from a blanket, you know. But then when you start getting into King Kong, when he played King Kong in '76, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's the one with um, oh god, what's the name? Jessica. Jessica Lang. Yeah. 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 Um, he played oh. King Kong in that one, didn't he? Hand. <laughs> played the hand. He played the hand of Kong. Um, but he was hand, the hand that, that grabs. <laughs> what has become his thing, it, and especially not just his, but his studio at the time was the layer. He was an expert in laying yak hair. Yeah. It's why um he became the monkey man. Um yeah. And he still accredits there must be thousands and thousands of bald yaks running around in the wild somewhere because he's got <laughs> all the hair. Yaks. <laughs> um, yeah, he was he, he, from King Kong. It just it, it evolves. He he credits um, Long Cheney yeah, as massively. as a massive. Um, obviously, Long Cheney is the is the epitome of makeup artist. It, like self makeup artist as well, yeah, the man who would, yeah. yeah, he just he pushed he pushed boundaries to like to limits that nobody it in the thirties would ever have thought to do. Um, but what really blew my mind and what made me want to just go back to this era just a little bit before we go into Kong, um, was when they were talking on the podcast about uh, names. And Gilbert Godfrey was like, I got the opportunity to name my middle child and I wanted to call him Alicard <laughs> because it's Dracula backwards. I'm not joking, Dan. I nearly threw me phone across the room and went, I did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. And I know I feel such a dick because like, it's so fucking obvious. And I was sitting there going, one of my favorite animes is called whole... Helsing. The main guy is Alicard. I've been no, honestly, I've heard that I've heard that name thousands of Castlevania, Alicard. Mm -hmm. I'm just going through going, that makes sense now. <laughs> I stood up in uh, at the moment I'm working in like um, I'm doing special project at work. So I'm like working in a, uh, in my own little room with my own little like my, my little friends. And I literally stood up out my chair and went, Did you know? <laughs> that that Alucard is Dracula backwards. And they all stood there and went, what, like Castlevania? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, yes, did you not? And I went, can you not tell by this reaction that I did not? It I did not. I don't know why it just passed me by and it makes perfect sense. And I don't <laughs> remember ever having a conversation about it with anyone else. So I'm just no. like, I just I, instantly I just threw the dyslexic card up there when <laughs> dyslexic. <laughs> but it, it perfect sense, and he was just like, and it, he was like, my wife said no. <laughs> like, yeah, fair enough. Fair play. Fair play. Um, I just wanted I just wanted to bring that up so I could mention that because 
I honestly blew my mind. So King Kong 76. This is probably the, the starting point of Monkey Man. And I saw a clip of it the other day. Oh my God, I cried my eyes out. King Kong is one of my mum's favourite movies. And she fucking loves it. She we we sat and watched the Peter Jackson one with her. Yeah. And she is fucking bawling her eyes out at the end. Like like hysterically crying. And she looks over to us and goes, Do you not find this emotional? Do you have no soul? She generally <laughs> said that to us. And I was like, No, I don't know. I, I it took me a long time. I am a Planet of the Apes fangirl and King Kong just wasn't quite there for us until recently it's been when I've gotten a little bit older that I'm like I totally appreciate this like I totally get this um and when I was watching a clip of it the other day and it's when the military come in I fucking cried my eyes out it was a clip but the realistic shooting the blood the markings the the fact that the he's not he is not as perfected as what we get later on with his monkey makeup but it was it was very realistic to me i was very even for just a clip i am very much in that moment for me i feel like king kong is the perfect example of how cg should be used because Mm -hmm. if you look at the evolution you've got the 1930-ish version which was fey ray and it yes. was stop go animation with what looked like, which I will always return to the Chewitz. <laughs> the Chewitz advert. <laughs> the Chewitz advert. Just to interrupt you, just for one second, Fairey was the other person who gave him his uh, Academy Award along with Vincent Price. Oh, phew. Yay. <laughs> Cut that one out. But yeah, you go from that one to then the 76 one. So you got maybe. 40 year gap between the first King Kong and, and yep. this one in the 70s. Yeah. And then you've probably got another 30 something year gap between this one and the, the Peter Jackson. Oh, you need now, to stop seeing them kind of numbers, mind. But if you do look at the difference between the three, they're all three very different retellings of the same story mm-hmm. um, done in completely different ways and very cl- clever different ways. I mean, I won't say that every piece of CG is needed in the Peter Jackson one, it's mm-hmm. not. But when you look at specifically on King Kong himself, the way that they left Andy's eyes in, and this isn't just because it's Andy, but because they were able to leave the actor's eyes in, you seem to get more emotion mm-hmm. from the whole thing. So there was that marriage of still having an element of practical, even though it was the actor, yeah. compared to mar- just marrying the two together where it worked. Um, plus, I always love me a dinosaur fight, and to this day, I love the bit. I'm a T-Rex fanatic. I always cheer cheer the T-Rex when it comes to Jurassic Park. I've even got a T-Rex tattoo because I fucking love T-Rexes. But for me, I love King Kong when he rips open the mouth of the, you know, there's just an element. I know Rick's not got anything to do with the Peter Jackson one, but there's an element of progression within that one story Mm -hmm. that completely explains what Rick says about the marriage between the two. And yeah, I genuinely think now you're going to Skull Island and you're going into King of Monsters and mm-hmm. King uh, Kong versus um, Godzilla. Godzilla. I love the idea of bringing back those movie monsters, mm-hmm. but we're getting into a territory where Kong don't look like Kong to me anymore. 
yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they lost me when Samuel L. Jackson could give him the 30-yard stare, you know. <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson is staring out <laughs> Kong. And I'm like, he's the only man who could get away with it, mind. But oh, like, yeah, you can't you put know, anyone else in that role and expect it to happen. But I will always, he will always win out for me, Kong. He will always mm. win out. I mean, I love me a Godzilla, but there's something about... I just I I have such an I have such a, a an appreciation for them. I remember when we did the Godzilla one, mm. and for all that I have not like immersed myself in it all. When we when I talk about it, I get really excited. And Kong is exactly the same. Like I have, and it probably is like comes from my mom. And that night when she, <laughs> I just watched this fully grown woman break, like completely break over a, a monkey movie, um. But yeah, it's and what you going back to the eyes bit. I do think it says a lot when it sounds really. Do you know when you look into a dog's eyes? Mm -hmm. Do you ever think to yourself, "You've been here before"? Well, I think yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's all they have to emote to you because mm -hmm. they can't tell you. So they're very expressive in their eyes, and I feel like you can have a conversation with a dog, and they can look at you, and you can tell whether they understand you or they're taking it in or not, or. They're, they're bored of you. My old, I used to have a, a little staffy Pringle, and he used to roll his eyes at me when he'd had enough and <laughs> puff at me. Uh, That's just, a dog who's been on this earth before, then. <laughs> honestly, like if I was annoying him too much by giving him cuddles, he'd just go oh, and walk off. He'd just be like, the, the woman, stop. Yeah, my mum's um, Shih Tzu, Harry, I just look into his eyes and think, oh my God, you have been here before. And then I look at Bailey and go, you are new. <laughs> But I'm just, what my point was is that the eyes are so important to me when it comes down to like emotion, emotion. Yeah. and I think you can, and you are right, like leaving Andy's eyes in will make so much difference regardless of what's going on here. If they are giving you something real, then it, it changes the whole aspect of what you are watching. Does that make sense? Or did it I makes, just actually say that? Yeah, it makes sense. Because <laughs> if you look at Rick's iterations, then you start off with a uh, thing with two heads monkey. Then you go into Kong. Kong. Um, we are, we'll backtrack in a second. I'm not skipping ahead too hard. But then you go from Kong to Harry. Bigfoot. Holy shit. So what an evolution of his, that his is style. That is of a... A jump in what around 10 years, I think uh -huh. it's uh, or eight years, something crazy like that. And and it's like uh 10 years, yeah. So you roughly it's an evolution of ex just ginormous proportions, yeah. How he perfected. I and mean, you... let's, let's be honest, a Bigfoot is very similar to a monkey when we're we're looking at the hair punching, mm -hmm. sculpting from a perspective of the bodysuit, it's all along the same lines. Yeah, it's just evolved bigger bulkier maybe a different shape since that but yeah you're right and um, everyone thinks that rick is famous for werewolves and what i have learned is no he is famous for monkeys he's the monkey man <laughs> he is the monkey man i am going to jump a few years forward and we are in 77 and one of the greatest <laughs> movies of all time comes out and um, realistically, everyone in this movie thought it was going to be a shit show. This was B-movie territory. And it turns out to be one of the most influential pop culture movies of all time. It is Star Wars. And holy shit, my bed. I am so glad 
I listened to that podcast today because he went into a lot of detail about I, and I Mark actually, Maron. He actually talked a lot more about it. I actually watched a documentary about um, it was I hate the way they carve a good documentary into about 80 pieces on YouTube. Mm. Just I will pay 99p to watch it if it's yeah. a thing. But yeah, I kept getting interrupted so that I had about there was about 10 of these tiny little five to eight minute clips that were strictly about Star Wars and about how he had no time on it mm. at all and how the reshoots were done. And I thought yeah. that was really interesting. Well, just to give people an idea of what he actually did, because you don't have one of the greatest scenes in Star Wars without Rick mm -hmm. Baker. It yep. is the cantina bar scene. Every and you don't have all of those amazing aliens and creatures if you don't have Rick Baker yep. and his time and his money. Yes. It was so the studio. So George Lucas loved the idea of um creating all these different these different creatures for yeah. this scene however George was very open and honest and said we uh we we kind of don't have the budget for it and yeah. Rick went okay I have x amount of alien makeup I have x amount of masks I have this I have that I will give you it yeah this all him mm -hmm. so because uh, he was doing and the he was doing work with the um, what they're called oh the, the studio that george lucas uses oh what's its name industrial light magic no yeah no is yeah island no that's it yeah yeah he was doing work with them and that's how the connection happened between the two um so yes that cantina bar scene is him but what all people, of it but what people don't know he he supplied the massive devil mask you know when uh Luke and Hannah talk, uh, Luke, I want to say it's Luke and Obi actually, or when he's at the bar, when Luke's at the bar and they're the big devil guys in the background, you can see he looks a bit like the Prince of Darkness, Tim, Tim Curry's Prince Yeah. That guy. That was a makeup that Rick just happened to have laying around yeah. that he'd sculpted for another movie that just didn't do anything. The um, werewolfy looking type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all Rick. <laughs> and the thing that got me though was when he was talking about it, he said that everybody assumes that was shot in one big room. Yeah, like, it was. You not. had the stage with the cantina playing, and then mm -hmm. you had the bar and all the people around the bar. He said no, the 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 bar scene existed in Pinewood um, mm -hmm. when they filmed it, but the actual cantina band playing was filmed in New York. Yeah, and they spliced it all together, and he said the thing that he hated the most about the makeup he did for the cantina band was that they were masks yeah they're all masks and he said it was the fact that their eyes just look just look dead uh, and he said you could tell when they were getting hotter and hotter i don't know if you heard this but you'd start to see the heads sink in where they, where they were know, breathing didn't. and he said it was like because they didn't have enough um foam and and things mm -hmm. that they could use to bulk the heads out whilst they're sat on top of the head so you've got like if you imagine your head's this big and then you've mm -hmm. got a mask on that this big yeah and it's this big you need to put some sort of, of there needs to be something there in there to stop the head from collapsing yeah because it's only thin 
I think he used um, just latex for the, the, those ones, mm -hmm. not foam latex though. He had them on and he was saying that they managed to bulk out the top so that the heads looked bigger, but they hadn't had enough to bulk the sides out. So when the guys inside, they realized that the pinpricks that they'd made for the nose wasn't big enough. So you just see their heads breathing like this. And he said, at first I thought, oh, that's interesting. Does that work? And then it was like, no, because it was only yeah. happening to like one or two of the band and then the three or four of the others, it wasn't happening to. Um, so <laughs> it, it was quite amusing the way he was sort of explaining like how it came across and everything. But I, I, I genuinely was shocked when he said that was the scene he did as well. I was just like, really? When I saw, when I saw Star Wars, it just said makeup second unit. That's and a lot of it, what I learned from going through from Octo Man up to like going further and further was he is uncredited for a lot. So I'm just like thinking to myself, why? Why is he? Young? And I even said to Ant, how can he be uncredited for so many things? And I'm thinking, well, maybe this is like the starting point. This is him getting, you know, his foot in the door kind of thing. And then for it to be saying second unit for Star Wars, I was like, oh, well, maybe he just did bits and pieces, but to know. He did the whole fucking cantina bar scene was beyond me. And I found it so funny when he was talking, he was saying, and you think Harrison Ford's sitting in that room with all their aliens? Think again. <laughs> He's always been a grumpy old fuck as, uh, as Harrison. Yes. And uh, I love him every day for it. So oh, me too. Um, the, 78 is the Fury, which I don't know a lot about. Oh, no. Nope. So 1980. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. See, I didn't. I don't know what he did on that because I because found he, harder to find out more information about that one than I did about. Yeah, because all he talks about is the cantina bar scene, yeah. and I think because that is so massive, the scale of work he did, yeah. he very rarely mentions what he actually did in Empire Strikes Back. Right. So I found exactly the same as well. Um, he is credited as just makeup, and he's actually uncredited. So Again. maybe he just was a helper. I can imagine that Rick was very much consultant, um, you know, putting kind of just helping out with units that would that needed it. I'd, he is not a man who needs to take credit for everything. He is actually happy to work with people. Yes, he's incredibly organized as well. Like I've, I've, one of the documentaries I watched was they were interviewing other makeup artists that you know in passing like v neil like oh, um uh, obviously tom um even um who in a minute in my head i can see neville oh neville um oh, blah, 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 blah. i want to say face off. Neville, why do i want to say neville chamberlain why, why would i want to say <laughs> that um Oh my right, I was going to Longbottom for my brain ah. was Harry Potter. But ne Neville um thingy anyway from Facebook. I know off. I can picture him. Yeah, I can see him. Glasses. He's on face, face off. Yeah. yeah. He's on face off, guys. They were all saying the same thing. If you needed something doing on time and you had a unit of any more than from one people, one person to 30, Rick is your man. Yeah. Because he is so well organized. He knows what needs to be done when, and he knows how to make sure everything is a working part to a a story moving piece yes yeah. so we skip a year and we go to 1981 and we are busy at <laughs> it, it, fuck yeah it's a busy year 
Jesus Christ, no wonder you took 82 off. Um, <laughs> we have one of, it's probably the most revolutionary m- movie when it comes to makeup and to um, special effects in makeup. It is The Great American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. I watched this. So I know about American Werewolf in London. Um, I have been to Tom Savini's makeup show in Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. And this is the, for all, it's not his work, even though Tom Savini is presenting this. Yeah, He is very much excited in this presentation to talk about the transformation of man to werewolf that has never ever been done on screen like this before mm-hmm. ever <laughs> we watched Lon Chaney Jr. do it and then go like that <laughs> yeah. it was ah uh, there we go oh he's on the floor oh look, do, do. He's, he's a dog now he's a dog he's a hairy dog man he's a hairy hairy lurking dog man um so yeah I can't remember I only I only ever remember Griffin Dunn I can't remember the other guy because I want to call it. I want to say it's Justin Hoffman, and it's not. It's David Warner. Why does he look like Justin Hoffman? <laughs> I met David Warner actually at Spooky just gone, and really? um, Rob's got a huge um, American Werewolf tattoo here that, that was done by Paul Vander Johnson. And, oh, he's, um, he's short, is it? <laughs> yeah, that, that big one it. there. Yeah. And um, David took one look at it and went, "Oh my god, man, that's amazing!" And he was just. He's really one of the nicest people. Um, oh, I'm pleased. And and I was really surprised. I'd like to meet Griffin Dunn. Obviously, there's the connection between Griffin and Poltergeist being that yeah. Dominique Dunn was his sister who got killed. And, um, and Carrie Fisher. He was best friends with Carrie Fisher. Yeah, but but Griffin is, he like they did tell the story on the podcast, but I'd already heard the story elsewhere. I'd never, I'd never heard that story before. In the, the story prior, he was saying that when you watch American Werewolf, no one looks at Jack's face. They look at the little wiggly bit of flesh. Yeah. As on the, on, uh, just after he dies, on the first reiteration of, of Jack, mm-hmm. you see this one. <laughs> and, and he was right. When he said it, I thought, I always look at that. I always look at that bit of little dangly flesh hanging off rather than looking at his face or how the makeup's done. So Griffin was always so worried about. Him not I was worried about a lot of um, things. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> it strikes me that he was a little bit sort of not sure what he was getting himself into. I mean, John Landis had come off the back of Animal House at that point because that's where he got the money to be able to make this movie. Yes. Um, but prior to that, he was, he'd was done Schlock, and that was a 30K indie budget movie. Mm. No permits, as with most of the films in the early 70s, you know. And, and hey, random a lot of things and... didn't change going into 83, so... <laughs> did get the permission to have Piccadilly Circus though for two hours which I thought was a fucking well I'm glad he knew how to fill the paperwork form out for us (laughs) that was a hell of a bloody thing to to pull off though to to be able to get Piccadilly Circus for two hours what blew my mind when I watched it because I only watched it last year it's one of those movies that because I'd seen the transformation I was like uh it can just sit on the wheelhouse and to be honest up until recently I've never been a werewolf fan I'm not joking last year when we watched the werewolf that's that that's the moment that's when i'm like oh shit yeah this is actually something um the main girl the main woman in it the main the love interest yeah call the midwife yes jenny agatha didn't know that i was like so much she's like british royalty where is your 
fucking nunnery at? <laughs> I love Call the Midwife. I fucking binged that last year just to catch up so me and my best friend can watch it together. Um, I, and I, I just, I remember texting her going, she then this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I loved it, but the Griffin Dunn story really did make us laugh because he tells the story and he's like, dude, did you not even read the script? Did you not even see the description? Griffin Dunn kind of threw his doll out. Not that he didn't. He was, I, I can understand it. And when they talk about, um, when they do talk about other actors who've had to sit in and even Gilbert Givy's own experience of having to sit in makeup for such a long time, how daunting it can be. Um, they even said that Boris Karloff was famous for going home in his makeup because he was so fucking sick of sitting in the chair that he I'm would just go home in it. Um, but Griffin Dunn was like, "I don't, I don't understand why you you you're doing me like this. I don't, I don't want to look like this. This is my big break. How is anyone going to notice me?" <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, you're dead. Like in this movie, you are dead. Yeah. What did yeah, you I expect? Think, I think he was so. Um... I think in one of the documentaries, and I don't know if it was in the podcast as well, where he mentioned it, he said that Griffin was just incredibly um, grossed out by the makeup as well. It was something that he really didn't like, and it forced him to deal with his own mortality, which is kind of like, I suppose it would. If you're looking back at yourself with horrific injuries, Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, God, this is, I'm going to. This could be look like this. You but know. how much of a testament is that to Rick's makeup that he has made it so realistic that yeah. you are now thinking, shit, this is what I'm gonna look like after I'm gone. And he detested the, the second iteration where he was starting to go corpse with the yeah. slashes. <laughs> this is the one that freaked him out the most, not just the, the fresh scratches, it was yeah. the scratches that became old, where his face was trying to be sunken in and mm-hmm. Rick couldn't work out a way of bulking out the face properly mm-hmm. so that um, you could do the progressive shrinking because what a lot of people don't know that don't have much information on special effects, practical special effects, is that if you're going to do a scene where someone has got to lose a lot of weight quickly or if someone has, um, over, uh, over the space of the movie, needs to lose the weight or they die and they need to rot, things mm-hmm. like that, they have to start off with a very healthy face. Now you think you're looking at say, uh, say someone like me and, and you see the perfectly round face and you think that that's their actual face. It's not, they build out on the cheeks. They try to take out some of the features so you don't notice. They put in extra cheek plates and things like that. And then as it goes down, they remove, um, mm-hmm. they remove matter to make him look more and more gone even though the real face is somewhere in the middle of the transition their actual face that they have on a day-to-day basis is <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the transition, but you look at them and go, oh, don't that person look like they're really gone? And it's not, that's a real face. He didn't like the fact that he was getting smaller and smaller and smaller, but Rick also mm-hmm. said, I can't make him any smaller. When we get to do that third scene in the cinema, mm-hmm. Griffin was like, I can't sit in that makeup. Rick was like, I can't do that kind of makeup if you're not, you know, from what in my head, what I've got here, how I need to get it out I can't have you in makeup either so Mm -hmm. what did they they do they opted for a puppet which I thought was a genius stroke and and you know it's a puppet but that's not the point it's an animated skeleton at this point Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to anybody and plus if you're a John Landis fan 
again makes perfect sense he's taking the piss out of the whole thing yeah so yeah. i didn't realize how funny this movie was oh it's, it, it can be i think it gets a bit too serious in places and then it's really it, funny in other places pulls it, and pulls it back and then pulls it forward and then pulls it back but then if you oh, animal house is some my dad fucking loves animal house and animal house has a moment where it kind of like bit serious but then we're really really funny and tiny bit serious and i kind of saw the kind of rhythm with that and i i thoroughly i honestly I, I thoroughly enjoyed it but if the obviously the transformation of the werewolf is i rewatched it the other day dan and i'm not gonna ask squirmed a little bit well he was saying that they went through a lot of different types of material to try and work out the best way to show the skin stretching the way it does um mm -hmm. they've i think this was where they said that they'd actually wrapped the film before the transformation had been filmed they the were film actually not going to show yeah they were actually not going to show the werewolf at all yeah it was just going to be a glimpse yeah and it wasn't until this that they decided no we need more what, he was trying different like versions of membranes of like different um levels of silicon and foam and latex to try and get the the bubbly mm -hmm. thing you know where you could see <laughs> things pushing through the skin so when yeah. you see the face the face took six months to make and they shot for 10 minutes on the face and it was done and rick was so upset he didn't get to have longer Mm -hmm. And when he saw it in the movie, he said it made perfect sense once it had all been cut into place and he should have mm -hmm. trusted John. But in his head, he was like so angry that this whole sequence took six to eight months to, to get to where they needed it, you know, to get all the pieces together yeah. to make it. Yet it was only a, a 10 minute sequence in the movie. But it turns out, you know, where the face elongates, mm -hmm. that is Rick with his fist in a, in a, like in the inside the face, pushing uh a mouth that's attached with all the uh silicon foam whatever they ended up using membrane push like punching through basically just punching the mouth through to get the the stretch naturally the same with the the spine they had like a uh because this is where rick starts to get into his his uh flow with using animatronics and using practical effects and there were certain bits where um when the spine when they're showing the spine pop through the membrane as well it was slightly on a rig but it wasn't like remote controlled or anything yeah but it was on like a rig where they pressed a button and it, it popped out so when you see it in the movie it's slowed down to look like it's a gradual process but it was a really quick one when they were yeah. filming it also most people know that david norton david norton that's his name um was under the floorboard for half of it and like his head and his shoulders for the bit where he's laying on his back Mm. um halfway through the transformation so they had to build a, a two-floor stage as well for david to lay under and where it, and then they had to build him into the set so that this part of his body here was all that was coming up so he's had, he's had his arms and his face and his shoulders to do all the emoting with for that section and then he flips over if i'm right or he flips over from when he's back onto his front but yeah rick had a thing where he wanted a two-legged werewolf he said to john i want a two-legged werewolf john went no we want a four and he was like oh, why why are you making my life so difficult <laughs> and john was like work it out i don't care how you do it but that's what we're having and john 
was right in the end because it, when you do see the scenes of the uh, werewolf, the actor that was in the costume had it so bad when they were full blown yeah. werewolf. They were in a wheelbarrow position. You know, from school when you you did the wheelbarrow with another yeah. kid. They had it. They made a rig. Rick made a rig um, where their legs could sit on. Mm -hmm. And basically, the actor that played the werewolf had to use his hands to pull them forward. I'm just yeah. I'm just like in my head like. <laughs> so and and the thing was, you presume that the actor's face is in that mask. It's not the the werewolf's face is actually on the top, so the nose comes out here wow. on the actor's face. So. Uh -huh. that, actor could see where the hands was when he's looking down but like he can't this. see forward so you can't see forward so you're seeing what looks like a, an amazing um scene and it's cut in with puppetry for the back legs because obviously they couldn't show the back legs because it's the guy on the rig going <laughs> forward like this <laughs> so they, yeah so that's do an element of puppetry on the back legs to in, in certain scenes to show that the wolf had back legs basically well we we so we learned from larry the two-legged dog two-legged werewolves uh <laughs> it doesn't go very well but no. i can understand why he would want to do that given the fact that he is a huge lon cheney jr fan so yeah. and practicality would be better on two feet than but that is so inventive i honestly i have been to that hollywood um the universal studios thing with about the whole transformation i can't remember any of it to be honest i can't remember most that was said in it Um, i just always remember this showcase of the transformation of it and how tom savini's standing behind a monitor going this is this is revolutionary this changed the game <laughs> but i didn't do it it wasn't me yeah, <laughs> it was not me they just um, stand here and point at things so from 90 from 90 is one american werewolf in london next is the howling however he is not makeup artist he is simply just consultant rob botine took over from yes. that and we all know about him he's great go and listen to the thing <laughs> it's fantastic um then we've got 1981's the fun house mm -hmm. never heard of it um special effects he's a special makeup designer on that yeah um then we've got the incredible shrinking woman 1981 creator and designer of sydney i it's i feel like i've seen it but i don't remember like no. the name makes me feel like i've seen it because like i i used to love like attack of the 50 foot woman and, yeah. and those movies so i feel like it, when i was going through a phase I, I might have watched it but i can't remember it no nah. The next one though i remember i remember very well which one of the two from 1983 are we going for on this one i want to quickly go on to one of the video drone right yeah only because i have not actually seen video drone in its entirety because i didn't need to after the head blowing incident i was like ah, that's okay i'm fine <laughs> we need or well, i was thinking we could possibly do it as an episode yeah. video drone because it's it's, it's absolutely so fucking weird um a hundred percent agree Cronenberg, on that mm -hmm. so you're gonna get body horror that's yeah. full stop you, you you're going into that um that so world we, so we will skip video drum because i love that idea because i've i have i can't get past the head blown up scene i can't do it it's way worse going on <laughs> i know so. <laughs> um so we're going for this one 1983 <laughs> 
And it is thriller, thriller night. Now, do, we're do, taking do, do, Michael Jackson and all the politics, leave it behind. We ain't interested what you've got to say. It's okay. Hey, yeah, if I've managed to be nice, if I've managed to keep my mouth shut about John Landers, you can do the same about Michael Jackson. <laughs> because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. No matter no. who you are or what you say, that song comes on, everybody still fucking sings. It doesn't matter whether it's Christmas, New York, you, 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 it's New Year, it's bloody Halloween. It That song comes out, you know it. It is just standard. Plus, Vincent Price is on it. He did that in one take. Because he's um, the man. He was next door. Michael went in there and said, excuse me, would you mind coming and just reading this on my ne next song? And Vincent went, yeah, why not? Went out, memorised it in one read. Because again, he is the man. Read it straight out, word for word, did the laugh at the end, which wasn't expected. And then still to this, well, to the up until the day he died, he could recite it on yep. the spot for any interviews he did. There's a Johnny Carson interview. I want to say it's Johnny Carson. I could be completely wrong, but there is an interview. It's on YouTube. Um, there's not there's not a lot of um talk shows that he did, but the ones that he did do, they did get him to recite it, and he did it verbatim because he again, like I said, is the man. Um, I generally didn't know up until this research that it was uh, Rick Baker who did Thriller. Looking at Michael as werewolf. Mm -hmm. totally fucking see it did you also know rick baker is actually in the video is he a zombie yes yes there's, there's a bit where there's a guy who pushes a door from a crypt and pokes his head round that's, that's him been. the one that pushes the door and pokes around. you can tell it's rick he's got long hair and he's got a goatee okay but i can't <laughs> picture if you look at rick when he wins his academy award yeah that doesn't look like Rick Baker, who I know. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> but yes, I, I did know that. Um, but when I look at the, it's the hair. It's the, the, the precision of the hair as Michael with the werewolf. It's perfect. Because that was the thing as well, because it, <laughs> I, 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 this is, I think this came off of the Schmo Schmogan bit that I yeah, watched. I think so, because I watched about... that. There's a section on Thriller. Yeah, he was talking about whether it was a what it whether it's supposed to be a wolf or a cat and he said that he looked at michael's features and he was like he's not wolf-like he's more yeah. cat-like and he said his moves are very much like feline when when he mm -hmm. like broke it down so he that's when he put in the whiskers and made it very cat like with the cat eyes for the thing <laughs> the cat eyes always reminds of the mac on always sunny <laughs> <laughs> when he's there uh, on dear man <sighs> defender of the sun i've just oh. been watching i've just been watching that episode <laughs> honestly it's danny with his carrot nose it's just uh, oh if you want to pay you gotta pay the troll the toll if you want to get in this boy's hole <laughs> yeah. oh. i got your troll i got no was it i got your tall troll oh it's just that's but that song i wake up in the morning with that in my head sometimes really hey man oh, oh defender of the, the night man oh, um, God, thriller just... is on every playlist i have so i have a couple of playlists depends on what mood i'm in um movie one it's on there yeah uh horror one it's on there and <laughs> my Ice Nine Kills slash Misfits playlist. It's on there because Ice Nine Kills do an amazing cover of it. Well, the thing about it is, 
when they chose the shooting um, location for it, it was an old meat. It wasn't an old one. It was an active meat packing district in LA. I think yeah. where they filmed it. And he said they had to wait for the end of day for it to get dark and the people go home. But in doing so, they were slaughtering the animals just before they were filming. And they said the smell was Ugh. absolutely disgusting because they were obviously slaughtering the animals just before they left for them to bleed out and do what they needed to do. And, Ugh. you know, basically for the next yeah. day and, and the smell in the area, he said it was just like all consuming. Everybody was complaining about how bad it was. But this is where he was saying that um, he employed, and I use that term uh, lightly, um, he had like 15 people that had written him letters that were fanboys. And he said, all right, come and do this makeup with me and uh, for Thriller. And it turned out he couldn't use any of these people, but he trusted them from working on American Werewolf with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he couldn't use them because it was a union job. So he, at the last minute, he had to have 30 unionized makeup artists that he didn't trust, didn't work with. They didn't know what Rick's vision was. They Mm -hmm. hadn't worked on the prosthetics to make them like the guys that he trusted. He he had the sole responsibility of making Michael up as a zombie and making Michael as the cat. Um, They were his, (laughs) that was his duty, you know. And so he was running around making Michael up checking the 30 guys, making sure all the zombies look right. That's why he said the ones that are further back, you don't really see very well because they're all wearing masks. Yeah. He said, but the majority of the ones you see up front have got prosthetics. The rest at the back are all masks because he just didn't have time to yeah, to do what he wanted with it, which I thought was clever in a way because it you is. don't spot it. You don't spot it until he points it out. So Do you know what? I, I didn't think to watch because I've seen the, the Megan of Thriller. Like, oh, yeah. God. Can't count how many times, but I didn't think to go back and watch it now, knowing yeah. that Rick Baker, because I generally didn't, whether I just forgot or just generally didn't know, I had no idea, like just no idea he was a part of it. And I'm like, was, was he in that? Was he was he <laughs> in that uh, making of? Did I just completely forget that? Because I'm not going to forget Rick Baker, like at all. He's in it. He's in it, and he, and he he basically, I think he had a meltdown in the middle of it, or when they took his people away and replaced his people. I'm not surprised. I'm really not surprised. Um, we're going to skip to 1987. <laughs> I'm very excited about this one. Um, 1987. Love this movie. Harry and the Hendersons. Uh, he was the creator designer for Harry, the puppeteer and makeup artist. Oh my god! I remember watching this as a kid and just being like, "What the fuck? Like, I what is happening?" Seven. I was seven when this came out in the cinema. We weren't well off in the eighties. My mum and my dad, there wasn't a lot of money there, you know, so we didn't get to see it until it came out on video, which was probably about nineteen eighty nine, because video releases were a long time, long oh, yeah. time after the cinema run. Yes. So it was probably eighty eight, eighty nine before I even got to see it. We had to practice patience, kids, in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even on TV until at least four years after it came out in the cinema. That's how long you had to wait. Um, but, yeah. I would, I would have seen this with my granddad um, on VH, absolutely. Like, this is 100%, yeah. like, my granddad's imprint would have been on here somewhere. It's it, everything about it. John Lithgow, oh. um, just Poirot. <laughs> Poirot. <laughs> it's a masterpiece in 
acting and special effects working together in a way almost like how Andy Serkis and, and the CGI work together. But um, Kevin Peter Hall, for those of you who don't know, played Harry, the, Harry um, but he was also famous for a certain creature that we've also covered on this podcast before. Sadly, um, Kevin's no longer with us. He died, I think, of oh. six but he was uh, he was famous mainly for being the predator. Yeah. Kevin was the predator. He, he was, was the predator. I, I had four? loads of fucking notes on him as well, and I generally <laughs> just forgot his name right there. And then I, yeah. I, I was quite sad when I read about that because he only did Predator and Harry and the Hendersons. And yeah. I remember us on our Predator episode, again, going back and watch, it was, it was, oh. He, this is the thing that worked so well. Rick insisted on Kevin's eyes being Harry's eyes. So they're not animatronic. So when you see Harry, mm -hmm. everything, his mouth, his ears, anything that moves on the exterior is all radio controlled. Um, but the eyes are Kevin's eyes. So all the emotive oh. is actually done by Kevin. The only issue that, that, that Rick had about it was the fact that he wanted green eyes. And Kevin didn't have green eyes. No, or brown he did eyes. not. So he was like, I don't know how this is going to work. But he pulled it off. Kevin oh. did such an amazing job. I mean, I loved Harry. I, I like, you know, when you're a little kid and it's mm -hmm. not a crush, but you know, when you absolutely would go running up to them and give them the biggest hug in the universe. Yeah. That is exactly how I felt about Harry. I wanted a Harry. I, I literally wouldn't care if he turned the house upside down. I wanted a Harry. So oh, I totally get I get what you mean, but mine was bit over the dog. <laughs> I've wanted that dog, so I just wanted a big dog. But it's so weird because I'm reading um, my best friend's Exorcist at the moment, and it's the beginning part of Abby, who was one of the main characters. She's fucking obsessed with ET. I've watched like, the film; it's terrible. Oh, I've got no interest in the film. Um, the book is fantastic. Like I'm only getting up to like the nitty gritty, and I was reading it on my dinner today, and I went no. I'm gonna go back to work um <laughs> but yeah she's like a completely obsessed with ET like her, her life revolves around ET to the point where she's so upset with this new girl that she's met at her birthday party which is an ET themed birthday party she has not seen ET like Gretchen has not seen it she is fucking furious so <laughs> she just drags her to this to the movie theater to go and see it and Gretchen doesn't get it <laughs> see yeah, I mean, I probably have been like that with a lot of my friends at some point, I was, ever yeah. since I was a little kid. And I probably was about this film because when it does the behind the scenes, it does make you sit back and go, geez, like the suit mm. itself took six months to build. Individual hairs were hand plucked, you know, hand mm -hmm. plucked into it. Not plucked, but you know what, hand yeah. you know, uh, poked into it. Um the heads they they had two or three separate heads because they were worried about the radio control servos failing things like that so they wanted to make sure they had two options um he stood finally i mean kevin was around um seven four ish give or mm -hmm. take he was over seven feet tall and he they was said a that, giant yeah this suit made him eight four so they said he had when they put it on and the top of his head there was around between four and five inches between Kevin's head and the top of Harry's head with the wispy bits of hair at top and they had him on four inch um like 
platforms mm -hmm. inside the feet as well so they wanted him to sound so high John Lithgow himself's over six feet so they wanted to I forget sure. how tall he is yeah so they wanted to show the dynamic and, and they had the the first screen test they did they hadn't put the lifts in the shoes at that point mm. and it was just Kevin on the on standing and they said it just didn't look imposing enough so then they yeah. had to go back and redesign the heights on the shoes to make that extra you know the bit there's a scene where he's in the house and he's just destroyed it and he's just standing over John Lithgow like you think he's gonna beat the crap out of John Lithgow and he's not he just like smiles at him or something I can't I can't remember because I haven't seen it in ages and I really wanted to go back and watch it but I Me just too. get the time me too. I, I decided to watch something else instead um, that has no relevance whatsoever to what we're talking <laughs> about. But I want, I was actually going to text you and say, I can't remember this movie very well. Does anything sad happen in it? Loads because, of sad things happen. But but is I, it to the point where it's going to break my heart? Because like, I can't deal. I saw a clip of Harry and the Hendersons and I was in awe. Like I didn't, I haven't watched it. I haven't gone back and looked at anything at that for such a long time. As a kid, I'm not looking at what I'm looking at now. And yeah. I was in so much, oh, look at the fucking work. Look at the craftsmanship in that. And then I was like, do I want to watch this? Yeah, I want to watch this. Is there a sad part in it? Because I can't, there's one thing I don't do very well as an adult creatures in movies that get hurt. It's not I can't hurt. stand it. It's not physical sad. Like he doesn't get just hurt. He feelings hurt though. But yeah, badly in, in the middle of it. And that's the bit where you actually see how good an actor Kevin is just with his eyes and his body movement. Because you, you, your heart breaks for him. But then it all works out in the end, as it always does. But, you know, he he did such an amazing job. I didn't even know he was Harry. I did not know Kevin Peter Hall played um, played Harry. I mean, I, we might I have can't even. It. I, I, I genuinely one, can't I remember, remember if we did. I mean, that's going back. I think it was the third or fourth one we did. So if you want to go back, it's featuring Creature from the Black Tattoo. Yes. And um, he featured in the Predator episode. So, I mean, he's probably shouting at me now if he's watching. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Apologies. I don't remember if we had that conversation or not. I don't think I wrote in this notebook because there's the thing, there's Tom Savini. I know we did. Yeah, we definitely did that well before that. It's in another notebook. Um, but I can't remember mentioning it. But then when you said it, I felt like I knew it. But then I'm like, yeah. did I knew it? Did I? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's very late on a Thursday night. It is. I um, mean, he then does some crackers after that, doesn't he? Well, Beauty and the Beast. The TV show. Ron, Ron yeah. Perlman and uh, Linda Hamilton. Episodes wrote by George R. R. Martin. Met both of those. Get fucked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he does Beauty and the Beast. He does two TV shows, actually. Um, Beauty and the Beast, actually, by the way, um, don't know a great deal about it, but I have seen Ron Perlman's... Oh, um, his... Excellent. Holy shit, that is beautiful. That's beautiful. The thing, right? this is where rick shines because rick decided that they came to rick and they said right we want a beauty and the beast makeup and he was mm -hmm. like well i'll only do it if you let me come to the casting calls for the for the person that you pick mm -hmm. i want to see because i need to know the face i need to know the shape this is what i want this is what yeah. you need to, to to suit this kind of makeup 
and uh, he said he hadn't been 100% sold on how he was going to design Vincent's makeup until he met the person and, and looked at the person that they were going to get. And when they settled on Ron, he, he looked at him straight away and was like, lion. He is a lion. We're going to make a lion beauty and <gasps> the beast. He said his face just lent perfectly to the... He has the shape. best face for makeup, doesn't he? And this is where his working relationship started, working relationship started with Ron. Yeah. So that relationship starts there. Then we've got another TV show called Werewolf in 1987-1980. He only did the designs for that. Yeah. But then we've got Coming to America in 1988. Now, this is the end of the Landis relationship yeah. and the start of the Murphy relationship. Just, yes. I, I mean, that is, it is up there. This this movie is up there for me. It's definitely in my top 10. It is just um, ridiculous. Yeah. I've never seen it. <laughs> I know. It's so stupid, though. This is the thing. Everything about it is stupid. It's your typical stupid uh, 80s movie. A prince doesn't want to be a prince anymore. He wants to experience life as a normal, common person. Do. So he moves from his huge palace in um, um, Zamunda to... Um, it's James L. Jones with his dad, isn't it? Well, this is... The, yeah, uh, he moves to Queens because he thinks it sounds rich and it's a dive when he gets there. Um, <laughs> and he starts working at McDowell's, which is the rip-off version of McDonald's. <laughs> um, and it's owned by, like, he's... It's just... It's so well done. But the makeups... Eddie plays about four or five different characters... Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the clip. So I watched like yeah. a montage of these movies, and this was the clip that they showed was the barber shop clip. Yeah. And holy shit, I was like, you can see when Nutty Professor, where the ideas, where the cogs, where the where the changes were happening. And I know what he said. I don't know if he talked about it was this or Nutty Professor. He found it so difficult to do um Eddie Murphy's face. Yeah. Because what studios wanted was and what he could actually do was two different things. And I can't remember if it was this one or Nutty Professor that he struggled on. It, I think it was Nutty because this one, the I think the only issue he had with this one was trying to make Eddie, who is a very strong featured man, mm -hmm. into the, the Jewish guy in the barbershop. <laughs> Holy shit, when I realised that was him, I lost my fucking mind. I honestly thought it was just some guy. Yeah. Some guy doing the best Woody Allen impression he possibly could think to do. <laughs> to know that that's him, I was like, holy, holy shit. The hardest thing for me is taking Eddie's ego away. If I can take Eddie's ego away, then you can see he's a good actor and he's very, very good at what he does. The problem mm -hmm. is his ego supersedes his abilities for me because of the stories that I know about him. Yeah. Um, he, he had a bit of a humbling moment at SNL when he got a host SNL, when he got you to come return. Bit of a humbling, some humbling moments in there. Went he, back to his roots yeah. a bit. It took him, I think the older he's getting now, the more he's understanding that he's not current. Yeah. He's not Eddie as, as we know it. But with Coming to America, he played um so many characters but my favorite is um will always be <laughs> will always be sexual chocolate um he's the singer that sings i believe the children are future 
let them shoot boo. And, and <laughs> it's just how he does it. And it's so sleazy. He's wearing the 70s pale blue shoot shirt, uh, pale blue suit with a white ruffled shirt. And he's got the hacky and he's got the just let your soul glow hair. Um, and it's down here, and it's like I he's really got the teeth in, and and he's just got the hanky, and he's like constantly patting his head. You know, he's just like every cliche, but there's something about the way he does this film. He because Rick did all of those makeups. He also did Arsenio Hall's makeups because Arsenio did play about three or four characters as well. Yeah, uh, considerably less than Eddie, but he he definitely played more than one character in it. And I did not know that was Rick Baker, even though it makes perfect sense because it's John Landis. But again, I didn't realise Rick yeah. Baker. So but this is the end now of the Landis uh, relationship, yeah. like, and the the starting point of the Eddie Murphy relationship. Now, if you went, if you watched the Nerdy Up North's episode on trading places, you will know the reason why the relationship between Landis and Murphy ends at this point is because. John Landis is a murdering bastard. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> well, technically, the murdering bit is by by uh, by association. Um, John Landis. Aware. Well, John Landis in 1983 did a movie. Did a, He did not do the movie. He did a part of the movie yeah. of, and um, unfortunately, due to his, oh, I want to say stupidity, but there's probably stronger words out there. He insisted on a certain shot and didn't care how it was done. From he what didn't I care. And, and some law, some labour laws were chucked out there as well. Um, and it resulted in, unfortunately, the the passing of Vic Morrow and two Vietnamese children. Yep. And John Landis is the first ever movie director who has ever been um, taken to trial over manslaughter charges. And he asked Mr. Murphy to be his character witness. And Eddie turned around and went, fuck no. Uh, he said, uh, he says, I am I'm not here to say what you did was right, what was wrong. Um, but in my opinion, if you if you were taking two children out at a certain time with machinery, you have no control over then maybe you should be answering some questions and john took offense to that and it all kicked off in coming to america well this was the thing for, for those of you who don't know it isn't just we're just saying oh they drowned in a swimming pool or oh they retired and they just died it wasn't mm -hmm. this was one of the most horrific ways to horrific. die horrific these three people the, these two children and vic morrow were sliced in half by a helicopter blade yep real helicopter that crashed somehow i don't know if the the engines failed he didn't land it properly i can't remember there is an episode of cursed films if which yeah. it's a really really good episode. it's really good it's on um, it. it's on Shudder. Amazon. yeah um if you go back and watch that it explains it in more detail and it, it talks all about it but it's such a horrific thing because the families were all watching yep as well so it wasn't just a matter of they just thought that they'd all just ducked under the water and they were fine and it wasn't until bits started bobbing up that yep. they realised that wasn't the case. So um, yeah, John Landis got away with murder. Basically, even though he didn't technically kill them directly himself, he was, this, there's a lot of something. there's a lot of things that he skirted around in order for that shot to be made because he had to have that shot. Yeah. Um, and what's really sad is Twilight Zone. Um, I fucking I love the film. He, that that whole part there with Vic Morrow, oh my God, it is beautiful. He's it is saving the kids, isn't he? Basically, well, it, yeah. 
But the, 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 the character he plays is a man, he walks into a bar and he has a conversation with three of his friends and you learn that this man is a fucking racist, he's a bigot, he's a homophobe, he's the fucking worst of the worst. And his friends are trying to say, listen, dude, you can't you can't talk like that. And he's like, I am who I am and I'll be who I'll be. And, me, 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 me. and he, when he leaves the bar, he is put in every terrible position in history. He is in the, he is in the Holocaust, he is part, he, he is, um, you know, America in the 60s, and it's like, as a black man, and it's, he is part of every worst atrocity of human, of the human nature that like, oh, I don't know if I'm saying the right yeah, words. Yeah, no, now. no, we mean human history. I mean, yeah, human history. Yeah, exactly. And that's the, that's the bit where yeah. it went wrong. And the story ends where the, God, do you know what? I've seen so many things on it. I generally can't remember if they're going up to the helicopter and it just fucking ends. Yeah, you just and see cuts. them there and then you see the helicopter and then it cuts. And then it cuts and then he's back on the train. He's No, a train goes past and he's back at the bar. Yeah. And that's it. That is it. It ends. And oh my God, it was so beautiful up until that moment. This man getting these fucking just desserts, getting to learn lessons and then... For him to just, it just ends, the story ends. And I can't believe that he was so fucking careless. I can't believe I'm making this into a John Landis thing <laughs> on a Rick Baker podcast. But it really gets my gosh. It really annoys me that the the lengths that he went to to get his fucking shot. Well, this is why it took John, even though coming to America was a hit because of Eddie and because of Arsenio, I think that was... And James L. Jones. I mean, if you look, mm. go and look at the star-studded list of people in that. I mean, you've even got Eric DeSalle, I think it is, um, who was huge when in the nineties when uh, ER came out. He was one of the ER doctors, you know. With um, I love a bit of ER, Rooney. man. Yeah. And and so you know, you start looking at the at the the people that were going. Even Samuel L. Jackson's in Coming to America. Very small part, but he's in it. Um, and I think that was one of his first roles. I think, yeah, and I think people forget that Samuel L. Jackson was not a big player until the until the 90s. Yes. He was just a bit part, he was a bit part actor. And then that's a story for another time, though. Yeah, I mean, if you now look at where John Landis went from coming to America in 88, 89, mm -hmm. where I can't personally, without doing any research, and I'm not saying he hasn't had any big hits, but I don't remember Recall off the top of my head from 90s onwards any massive john landis movies that were as successful as his 80s period you know 80 to to 89 he he was the man the go-to guy for a movie yeah. american werewolf oscars through galore it's probably one of the very few horror movies that's ever been up for an oscar yeah um, you don't get them nowadays nope you, nope. you there is a very small percentage you think there's about i don't know millions of horror movies that have been made over the years we're, we're especially in this day and age where anyone can pick up a camera and film anything mm -hmm. um and you're probably only talking about like 0.01 percent of movies have ever been considered at the oscars because horror movies just aren't taken seriously when jordan peele won for uh get out was it get out yeah. when jordan peele won for get out i cried i was like holy shit horror has been recognized because the last time that the, the horror was recognized was silence of the lambs and they changed it to thriller 
Yeah. They even changed the category to thriller because they couldn't stand the idea of a horror movie actually being, I mean, it is a thriller. I mean, just throw that one out there. It is a thriller, but it's also a fucking horror as well. But it is, it's one of those things where it, it, he had a good run in the 80s whilst all that crap kicked off with the Twilight Zone. Um, unnecessary crap, ridiculous, stupid ass crap. But it, it was, the 80s was John Landis's time. Oh, fuck yeah. Animal House, Trading Places, American Werewolf in London, Coming to America, fucking even Twilight Zone to a degree. It was still part, it was still in there. Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. You know, yeah. you've got a long, long laundry list of, of John Landis movies in the 80s so i can't remember any in the 90s or that's what i'm why. saying i'm not saying the 90s <laughs> he didn't but it, off the top of my head the 80s is where landis was and lived and i didn't know that him and rick had such a history yeah of, yeah, of so many movies together i knew i knew like i said i knew he, he started off with john on um a b movie i didn't know it was schlock until i started going through and then I knew he worked on Thriller with him. Mm -hmm. But then that's probably where it sort of stopped for me with uh, uh, and then American Werewolf. And they're the ones yeah. I knew that he worked with him on. But then when you go to come into America and stuff like that, I was like, what? No. Well, yeah, I know. I, I didn't know that until it came up on the clip. And then because I was only part way, I was like, my God, I actually wrote down every single movie he did in the 70s and 80s, like <laughs> hand written down the year and what he did. And I had to take a break. And that's when I started watching the clips. And it was just like a highlight reel of, of movies that he'd been involved in. And when that came up, I was like, oh, my God, holy shit. But it, it kind of ends our journey through the 70s and 80s quite lovely. I know there's one more. Yeah. Um, because it, We've got the Lander era, Landis era. We're going to have the Murphy era on part two. Um, but the last movie of the 80s for, oh, for Rick Baker oh, is Gorillas in the Mist. Yep. Oh, fuck me. Um, can totally understand why he was, he's part of this. It's a monkey. Obviously, yes, Gorilla is in this. Um, but I went through a huge Diane Fossey phase. Like, I went down rabbit holes fucking galore, leading up to the point of this movie was going to be the end point of that rabbit hole. And my husband turned around and went, you cannot, cannot watch, this. watch this film. <laughs> he went, know. no, he says, you cannot watch this. He says, there was one scene in it, Sam, and I'm not joking. You will never get over this. Yeah, it and right. I had to go and have a, I'm filling up thinking about it. I had to go and look at the plot and see for myself what he was talking about and I went no no I can't I can't yeah. do this I mean I it's been a long time since I've seen it I, I, I it was definitely the early 90s when I saw it um the whole it, Jane Goodall wasn't it yeah um, yeah and and I so remember nan, we definitely watched it with my nan and my granddad for sure on VHS me and my sister and when that bit happened I remember my nan was like oh god Ted we're going to have to stop it because the girls are going to get really upset. And me and my sister were both probably sat there blaring our eyes out when it happened because... I haven't even seen it. it, and was it just... to, know, to know it happened, it really... I'm not even... I'm sorry, guys. I'm not even going to say what happened. I'm not even... Yeah, you're gonna, either, you can, you can go and find that information. Yeah, you can go and find that information out for yourself if you've not already seen it. It 
every i am a very sensitive person but i am even more sensitive when it comes to animals regardless if it's real or not i can't i can't deal with it i it, honestly when i say it will affect me it will yeah. really what's that um the dodo the dodo is a clip thing that comes up on my phone on facebook yeah. or on tiktok and it's all about animals oh my god animals in the rescued. worst position it's yeah. like the worst position possible then they get rescued then they get put in their lives i can't fucking get past the worst part because i am hysterically crying so i it takes me a long time to get to the good part i had to, i've had to put something on my phone to stop that from coming up i cannot deal with seeing them type of videos i fucking yeah. can't my mental health can't take it it yeah, just so can't do not do not by any stretch of the amount well just any any what put yourself through gorillas in the mist if you cannot take animal cruelty animal poaching animal nope. abuse i mean that whilst they are puppets yes <laughs> for want of a better word i know some, I of know. Them are, some of them are actors it still really happened they're portraying what actually happened yeah according to jane goodall so yeah. I just can't, I can't physically, physically do it. Um, no, and I won't. And don't get us wrong, I don't live in a naive bubble of, oh, everything's all happy and rainbow and unicorns and this, that and the other. I am not that person. I'm very realistic. I just can't. My, It's seeing it in my mind and it's playing it over. I am. I hyper-focus on things. It plays over and over again. Um, I once saw an image of someone put their hand into pieces of bread and bite their fingers down i physically can't to this day get their my image out of my fucking head what i would so this I, would kill me <laughs> <laughs> what i would suggest to anybody that hasn't seen this film even if you don't want to watch it by all means just google the image of sigourney as jane goodell talking to the gorilla one of the silverbacks when they're sat face to face and it's a very iconic scene from the movie mm -hmm. um and that obviously is an actor, and that is one of the most beautiful, oh, beautiful monkey, ape, gorilla, wherever we're going with that suits that you've ever seen. Now, going, on, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna go into it, but this is where the Marty Joe Young thing comes in. This is where he mm -hmm. is the monkey man for a reason. In this film, this is his best work. Yeah, for all I've not seen it, I have seen images of the posters i've seen yeah. images online obviously like i say i went through massive rabbit holes um it is diane fossey isn't it as no jane, diane... goodall. jane goodall's the lady that uh sigourney was playing was it yeah jane goodall she she's famous for going and living in the mountains with the gorillas did she yeah and that's what the movie's about basically it's diane fossey is it really? Jane? Yeah. Goodall, then. Who the bloody hell am I thinking? <laughs> I was like, hang on a minute. I read a lot, Dad. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, like you say, you're right. Uh, oh, she, no, no, I am right. Jane Goodall. I'm she not, is I'm a, not right. no, she's a, prim, she's a primatologist. So she yes. is in the same field, but she's not. She's the chimp lady. That's why I'm getting confused. She's and she's very, very much alive. Yes. Diane Fossey is not. Uh, yeah, Jane Goodall's the, the the chimp lady. Sorry, my bad. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but yeah, um, 
yeah, she's famous for the, going up and living in the mountains and 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 literally. Oh, to be honest, they're both the same person. Yeah, they are just totally different. Um, but it's From the same premise. They both did this. The the, the Diane and Jane. Um, but Diane did it in such a way that she she was dangerous. Too she dangerous. was. She did some stupid, stupid shit stupid and shit. stupid shit, which cost her her life. So, but, but I was uh, still still fucking take my uh, conservationists. Um. I am, I am all for yous. Out of right, I'm going to ask you a question then. Out of all the movies we've just covered, okay, the list. What are your top two Rick makeups? Oh, okay, good question. Um, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, because oh, now. because oh, do you know why? Because if I hadn't listened to them podcast today, it would have been a totally different list. And you probably think I'm going to go with the obvious, and I am the exorcist. And knowing what he did to Max's face is just, yeah. oh, breathtaking. Oh, God, I can't believe you're going to make us pick two. Um, you can go to three if you want. Oh, please. Um, the cantina bar. Yeah. Because, fuck me, that's a lot of work and a lot of masks. And that's that. Uh, once when you start to research Rick and, and listen to him and go over some, like, some of the interviews he's done, that's him in that room that is all him um but king kong really fucking impressed us really impressed us oh i can't believe you're gonna make us only pick oh that was so hard <laughs> that was three you did well it was three oh, go on then what's yours uh harry harry and the hendersons oh my god i totally forgot about harry will will live in it he lives rent free in my brain harry um i will say just everything, I mean, I know this is probably pretty obvious, but American Werewolf, just for the the, the fact that the amount of time that went into the transition, yeah. uh, just the logistics, being able to work out how the hell he was going to do these things, um, and he delivered on every request that he was given. You know, he, he was adamant he wanted it one way. John was adamant it was going to be another way. John's the director. John gets what John wants. And Rick made it work. Um, even when the actors weren't being compliant, he still made it work so yeah. that the actor got a respite or got, got what they needed. But um, third is a difficult one because I'm torn between two. Mm. I did watch Beauty and the Beast when I was a kid growing up. I knew mm. Ron, I was very shocked when I saw Ron Perlman out of makeup for the first time because... He was he's more beautiful as the beast as he buzzes himself, yeah? When you see... Yeah, that, <laughs> you can't even say no! <laughs> no, because that's the thing, because there's an interview with uh, Ron Perlman that said that when he was Vincent the Beast, he actually had women queuing up at his door because they thought he was such a, a suave, handsome gentleman. Yeah. And when he took his makeup, he got completely ignored by all the women. It's the same with Hellboy. So <laughs> it is, I mean, and that's again, Hellboy is a Rick creation. So we will hit that later. That is a part tour. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm torn between that one and coming to America because some of the characters in that are so iconic. And if he hadn't have done some of the, the face changes, then mm. you wouldn't have the characters that you have now. So it's a it's you've got I've got me my monkey in there. Well, yeah. we're not, we're Bigfoot, Miss Asquatch. 
I've got my <laughs> I've got my sort of werewolfy, liony, horror-y. Look. And then I've got my standard person makeup. So I think I've covered all three bases in that. But yeah. I do think this man, if you don't know who he is. Oh, please go and look at him. Please, please, please look it up because he is everything and you wouldn't have movies you wouldn't have half the transformations you wouldn't like he is people just carbon copied him after that that yeah transition and scary and the scary thing is we've only just scratched the fucking surface this is just 70s and 80s we have the part two next week which is the and i'm so fucking i'm fucking excited (laughs) and we have the 90s into the 2000s because rick did retire quite young yeah um at his own volition volition um because he wanted to just be able to make makeup what he wanted to make and you can actually find rick on youtube on his instagram he posts regularly it's still fucking pretty spectacular so we end at 1988 (laughs) Gorillas <laughs> in the mist. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, we are back next week with part two, which is going to be even fucking crazier. If you think this was crazy, <laughs> we are getting into some of the. If if you are watching on audio, Dan has an amazing backdrop that will look great for next week. <laughs> I've got way more stuff for next week. Trust me, I I I've got a lot of stuff, Rick Baker wise. Yeah, Stan's got a full backdrop of gremlins. Which, to be fair, she always has the big gremlin on anywhere, regardless of what it is. So the he's, he's gremlin is always he's <laughs> always there. But she, yeah, gremlins will be next week. Yes, um, I just I, I I didn't have anything leading up to. 1990 that i give up <laughs> so, yeah i mean i have star wars i have a star wars picture but it's of the new ones and i've got a, my star wars my star wars shizzes all over here um and nobody wants to see jar jar because he had nothing to do with him <laughs> pity pity <laughs> um yes so we are we are we are we are we, we are, are. We are here every Monday at seven, yes. seven, 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 seven. 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 <laughs> I was going to say seven thirty. It's honestly, it's very late. <laughs> we are here every Monday at seven on YouTube. You can find all of our links for Nerdy Up North, Bleeding Marvelous, and our very own Monsters Up North socials. Where are they, Dan? They're down here. They're down, down here somewhere. Yeah. Down below. Uh, yes, this goes up on a Monday night for Monster Monday, but all audio from wherever you get your podcast from goes up every Tuesday. I'm getting very good at doing this. I'm all prepared, you know. I get all prepared and everything's all ready to go. And I'm like, Tuesday come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's part one. I am so... Do you know what? For all, I'm very tired. I'm kind of like... So fucking good. Like I can't wait to work it next week. <laughs> Thank you everyone for watching. Say goodbye, Dan. Say goodbye, Dan. <laughs> Stay spooky, everyone. Bye. <laughs>